This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's the Now News Panel on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown, joined by Michelle McQuig and Joita Gupta. Let's address our next topic. The Conference Board of Canada and the Institute for Canadian Citizenship have released some data about the number of immigrants who are choosing to leave Canada. The data showed that in 2017 and 2019, the number of immigrants leaving the country was well above the typical national average. For fear of getting way too bogged down in numbers, since the early 1990s, about 21% of people granted permanent residence eventually left Canada to go elsewhere. Factors that influence onward migration include economic integration, a sense of belonging, racism, cost of living, home ownership, and better economic opportunities in other countries. Joita, these numbers jumped out to you. Why? Well, I think that the first thing to do is to put them into context. We've always had situations, uh, for as long as we've had immigrants, where a percentage have chosen to turn back and go back to their home countries. I think it's a bit concerning to me, because you hear two very different things happening when it comes to immigration. On the one hand, you hear the federal government talking about the fact that they want to continue to bring immigrants in, and they have targets. On the other hand, you see rising numbers of immigrants choosing not to settle here. And that has knock-on effects for not just the immigrants who come here and have perhaps dashed hopes and dreams, but also for our economy and for the country and our political apparatus. What does it mean when we seem to be going in two different directions when it comes to bringing immigrants into the country, but somehow not being able to get them to stay? Michelle, Juita laid that out here. The federal government is putting out pretty aggressive targets here throughout this decade in regards to increasing immigration. For the, Again, for the sake of simplicity, about half a million people a year is their target. How do you reconcile yeah. these numbers with that broader federal immigration policy? Well, that's the, that's the big question. I mean, you read these stories and, and it really makes you realize how much of a disconnect there seems to be. Um, between and I think one of the immigrants in the story that you shared, Joita, which is a really heartbreaking read, I would really recommend it to anyone because it, you hear the the anecdotes and the reasons people are giving before, behind leaving, and they're, they're, it's, it's really really sad. And what it does is it, it illuminates the huge disconnect between the promise and the delivery. And someone put it best when they said, Canada does a great job of getting people here or attracting people to come here and, and sort of selling the dream. And they don't set people up for success when they arrive. That's the disconnect for me. And we're seeing that borne out in the number of people that are leaving. And these are people by and large who have been able to find some work and who have been able to start building a life here, but they just don't have adequate housing. Um, it's certainly nothing they can own. Uh, the jobs that they have are not always, in some cases, they get suitable jobs, but many of them are underemployed given their skill sets. So we see this bearing out in, in all kinds of different ways, which all touch on aspects of federal policy. And it really, I think, just adds the, 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 the tension that is now in play between the number, the exodus of immigrants and the targets. They're drawing a lot of political heat on that on that file itself, on the specifically on the immigration front, but it also has so many corollary impacts on other hot button issues for this government under fire. 
So is really what they are at the oh, moment. So, so I want to start here. Uh, Michelle, you mentioned an article that Juita shared with us. It was from CTV. I don't have the author's name in front of me. I don't know if somebody in the control room can grab that for me while we're having this conversation so we can at least plug it on the way out. Because Michelle's right, it was a really interesting uh, story that had a lot of personal anecdotes about uh, individuals' experiences uh, as part of the immigrant uh, lens in Canada. So if somebody can track that down in the control room, I can share that at the end of this conversation. At least the name of the journalist. So, uh, folks, Folks can punch that into the Google machine. Uh, Joita, so obviously at the, at the core of this, there's a conversation about retention, yes. right? That's, that's what this is. If one in five people who come to Canada as an immigrant are choosing to leave and the government wants to bring in half a million people a year, mm -hmm. that means you're going to be losing 100,000 of them over the course of time, which ends up becoming a pretty nasty cycle, yes. right? It just means you're chasing your tail the whole way through. Yes. I think what Michelle identified there and some of those, those difficulties that people are experiencing as an immigrant to Canada is something that maybe the broader population understands as well. Mm -hmm. uh, a lack of affordable housing, a lack of good jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the one thing I would argue here is because this data came from 2017 and 2019, there has been at least a smidge of a shift in the political discourse, both federally and provincially. Things like recognizing foreign job credentials. I just shared a story in the first hour of the show out of Ontario where the labor minister is trying to table legislation that's going to be a little bit more focused on not limiting job experience to Canadian job experience, certainly in the healthcare field. Provinces like Saskatchewan, Newfoundland and Labrador, British Columbia are actively reaching out to boost immigration in particular fields. So, so I do think there's actually a little bit of a shift here in retention mm -hmm. where some of those policies are already popping up on the books. Yes, that's right. You read my mind again because this is the thing. We've seen a noticeable We've seen a noticeable shift in some of these policies coming out of Ontario and other provinces where they're scrapping the requirement for Canadian experience. I think we've all heard the anecdote about the doctor driving a cab. We've all heard it. So yeah. we don't need to reiterate the point that immigrants are—because we have to remember that we had classes of immigrants coming to Canada. We aren't talking about the temporary foreign worker program where, you know, people are coming in and they're working in farms or maybe in factories, and then the by the nature of those programs, the work is seasonal and they go back. I mean, there are a plethora of issues attached to that oh, yes. program as oh, well. Yes. Oh, but yeah. we're not going to get into that today. Uh, but we're talking about skilled immigrants, and we're talking about the brain drain from other countries. These are people who worked in the tech sector, in banking, in nursing, doctors, lawyers, engineers, who have been trained uh, in other countries who could have had good jobs in, their, uh, in other countries, but have been sold the Canadian dream. And then they're coming here and finding it's just not working out. And so that we know that it's hard on immigrants. We know that it doesn't jive with the government's stated targets. And at the risk of coming across as really cold and unfeeling, it's really bad for the Canadian uh, economy that we're losing immigrants like this, because it costs us to bring—there there is a cost attached to bringing immigrants to the country. Think about language training as one small example, the administration and bureaucracy involved in bringing immigrants over. So we have to really think through why we're losing people coming to the country when it, it's a bit like being an employer and losing employees every six months. And then you're having to pay to train and rehire people all over again, again and again and again. So as you said, Dave, you're chasing your own tail. And that becomes really problematic for uh, the Canadian economy, especially when you consider our birth rates and the fact that we haven't exactly turned a corner here. So I don't envision a situation where, you know, 15, 20, 50 years down the road, we can say, you know what, 
our, our birth rates are good enough that we don't need immigrants anymore. I suspect we will continue to need and rely on immigrants, but we're making it impossible for people to make a life here. Uh, but I suspect what many people are doing is they're staying in Canada for the requisite three years to get their Canadian citizenship, which means down the road they could access our healthcare system, they could access our universities uh, and, you know, education system, but they're not really working here and not really paying taxes because they're moving off to places like Dubai or they're moving off to other places where they have oh, better oh, economics. Jameet is getting conspiratorial here this morning. Well, no, it's not conspiratorial because I'm on a lot of—because uh, I'm Indian and I'm on—I'm um, actually on a Facebook group, so I suppose you could say I'm getting anecdotal. Uh, and that's, that's the conversation that many people are having. They're saying we cannot raise our kids here. Uh, in a, in Canada, it, the, you know, we don't have adequate housing. We don't but, have. But, an adequate but like, cost but like I mentioned before, I think that's actually a pretty common Canadian experience at this moment, right? Like, it is. I, I, I think that maybe that that when you start sort of saying that's only the immigrant experience in Canada, no, no, it's that's not. like lacking a total understanding of the broader picture. No, it's 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 not to say that it's only an immigrant experience, but I think when we consider the immigrant, uh, the realities of being an immigrant, especially in this context where you're you're getting the creme de la creme from another country. And these people are not being able to work at a level for which they are trained and educated. So yes, we're making some, taking some right steps. We're making some right steps in that direction to recognize uh, foreign credentials and not to create barriers in the form of Canadian experiences. But I think many immigrants are are struggling and have made the the trek here and are choosing to seek opportunities in yeah. other parts of the world. That's no, the crux of it. For sure. For I, I, I'm only dispute. I'm only disputing <laughs> sometimes when the focus gets a little too narrow. Uh, Michelle, I want to mention one more provincial policy that struck me as interesting. The province of New Brunswick has said for a lot of um, developments, new developments in terms of like job sites, hospitals, etc., there's actually going to be an increased onus put on the employer to find housing solutions for people that they're bringing into those spaces. And that certainly mm. inc includes a number of folks who are immigrants to the country. I, I think that there needs to be more onus put on the private sector here as well to say, hey, if you need to bring in a ton of immigrants to make your, to make your, 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 your place work, then you need to make sure you figure out the housing situation as well. And if that means you have to build uh, 5,000 housing units like a lot of the oil sands uh, communities do, like a lot of uh, Canadian oil companies do out there in their neck of the woods in northern Alberta and northern Canada, then that onus is going to fall on you as well. I, I think that occasionally sometimes there's too much onus put on government in this and not enough on the companies who say, we need immigrants to fill our labor force. Okay, well, what are you doing to help with that? That's fair. That's interesting. But it also presupposes that the private sector will, will invest in, in quality housing and try to do it right. And we, we've seen with the temporary foreign workers program that sometimes when employers are left to their own devices, uh, the, the immigrants are, are put into really pretty unspeakable conditions. So I do think there have to be some some standards in place or some guidelines to follow. But yes, uh, I think there is definitely room for private sector expansion there. The housing one is is is, is a key point. We oh, talked so about key. that, but it's but, so key. but that. But that kind of stuff won't go much way to addressing home ownership, right? So there's there's so many pieces that like that would be a a useful band aid, but a band aid nonetheless. Um, one of the pieces that really jumped out at me too, and we talked about being sold the Canadian dream, and I think a big part of that, and it's borne out in the CTV story, is that is healthcare is a big one. A lack of access to healthcare. People have. There were some immigrants who talked about how they specifically chose Canada over the United States because of our healthcare program, and then they get here and can't even access a family doctor. So th those are. I, I'm pivoting away from the housing because I think that, that there's so many other crucial parts that the, that the government does have to stay involved with. So I do think that even if the private sector does take a larger role, the primary onus will have to be on governments to try to make this work, especially since this is a stated priority.
And again, the great irony of the, the line coming from the federal government is we need more immigrants to fix our health care system. Yeah. We, need, we need them to fill the jobs in our health care system. So again, it, it turns into this chasing of the tail thing, whether it's health care, uh, housing. I, I, so yeah, I agree. Ultimately, the government is responsible for this, but, but I, I don't want to leave the private sector out of this as well, because I think no, that, that's I totally fair. You, you can't yeah. have this conversation without talking about that. Speaking of uh, government and the private sector and people. Uh, immigration, a contentious political issue. Uh, let's put that uh, bluntly. Polls suggest Canadians are losing some appetite for increasing immigration. A poll by the Environics Institute for Survey Research and Century Initiative found the number of respondents who agreed that, quote, immigration as a positive impact on the economy of Canada has dropped 11% from last year and reached wow. its lowest level since 1998. I'm going to say this pretty bluntly, Michelle. There's this book about Canadian politics about the 1993 federal election called It's the Economy, Stupid. Mm -hmm. um, Michelle, it's the economy. P people don't want to hear about immigration in times of economic slowdown. No, it's true. Um, and this also really tracks with this, a shifting in, in political alliances that we've been seeing lately. Um I don't want to dive too, too deeply into that, but I think this really does track with a, a, a different political direction and shift that we've been seeing here. And I think one need only look at the federal polls to see who uh, has the public favor at the moment and who does not to get a sense of which direction that shift is happening in. And I think uh, that immigration policy uh, is, is part of that, not just because of, of rhetoric, to be fair, not just because of immigration rhetoric from some of the parties that are currently surging, but because of some of the existing government's own undocumented failures on this. Uh, there's there's a lot of reasons for discontent at the political level with the current administration, and they're, they're not all rooted in polarization. For once, I, I, will, I will acknowledge that polarization is not the, the, the super villain of this one entirely. I do think it's a factor, um, but there are there's no lack of factors that are driving this kind of negative sentiment, and I think it's really unfortunate, and I, th I fear that it's going to fuel the fire. Um, the, the CTV story didn't necessarily share anecdotes of people who felt that they were being targeted or that they were the subject of racism or uh, that they didn't have a sense of belonging or community here. But that was those were cited as reasons. And I can't see that these particular numbers are going to do a whole lot to reverse that trend. Joita, uh, before I shout out the uh, CTV uh, writer and the article specifically, uh, what do you make of those uh, polling numbers? Yeah, I think, like you, I think the major culprit here is the economic situation of all Canadians. And there's a lot of evidence to show that the moment the economic situation starts to deteriorate, anti-immigrant sentiments and racism uh, goes <laughs> Over up. and over, over and over, and over again, again in the last hundred years. Yes, and that's the crux of the issue. And people have really had their backs against the wall, especially in the last two to three years, rising inflation, rising food costs. You know, I don't have to regurgitate what we already know. And I think that's really what's responsible for this upswing in anti-immigrant sentiments. But as I said a few minutes ago, I think we are far removed from a reality where we will no longer need immigrants because really our birth rates are not where they need to be as far as to be able to say, okay, well, we don't really need immigrants anymore. We can we can look after our, you know, aging population and we can manage on our own. That's we're just that's not our reality. So I think governments are, are caught between a rock and a hard place where we need immigrants, but you also have to grapple with the uh, fact that increasing, at least according to this one poll, uh, it's uh, uh, proving to be a unpalatable option, both for people who are already settled here, uh, they're not really happy about it, and immigrants themselves are turning away from the idea of coming here and making a life here.
I'm, I'm telling you, one day between now and the end of 2023, on one of these panels, I'm going to walk you through my math to solve the housing crisis. But let, I'll keep, I'll keep dangling oh, that morsel. Do. I'll keep dangling that morsel <laughs> out there to keep people uh, tuning in. Dave <laughs> Brown Consulting did the math at the bar a couple of weeks ago, and I came up with a pretty shocking number. Um, okay, did I want to check your work after the bar. Uh, yes, yes, I did. The beauty of uh, these calculators on the phone is uh, is is that you can see what you did uh, previously. Okay, I want to give some love to uh, journalism uh, at its finest. The article on CTV was called Immigrants Explain Why They're Leaving Canada by CTV writer Megan Dallaire. Megan Dallaire. Megan is spelled M-E-G-A-N. Dallaire is D-E-L-A-I-R-E. It's on uh, CTV. Megan Dallaire. Really, really interesting roundup. Yeah, really, really great interesting work, conversation. Megan yeah, top tier yep. stuff. Okay, let's go to one more story after the break. The BC Securities Commission is offering rewards to whistleblowers who flag fraudulent financial misconduct. Could the dollar amount attached to the award actually move the needle for someone to snitch? This is the Now News Panel on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.